Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. There's yttrium, ytterbium, actinium, rubidium, Well, I told you last week that we would be back, and here we are. Listen carefully. A story is told about a chemist who left a bowl of milk for his cat on the floor of the lab. The milk went sour, so the cat did not drink it. In fact, the cat got angry and sort of stomped away from the milk. And as he turned away, he managed to knock a nearby bottle of formaldehyde into the milk. This led the chemist to discover lactoid. Lactoid. What was lactoid? If you know the answer, you give us a call. That's 514-790-0800. Or you can text to 514-800. One more little query for you. The world's worst maritime disaster was not the sinking of the Titanic or the Lusitania. So what was it? What was the world's worst maritime disaster? Again, 514-790-0800, for text. And, of course, those are also the contacts where you can ask whatever question may come up uh, in your mind that I may have some insight into in terms of science. Now it's story time. And we're going back to Detroit sometime in 1949. And Brownie Wise pressed down on the lid of the bowl into which she had just poured some water. She proceeded to lift the lid just a bit to let out a burp of air before sealing it again. Then she picked up the bowl and tossed it to one of the women who had been invited to attend a Tupperware party. The startled lady caught it, and like all the others sitting in that living room, she was amazed that not a drop of water had been spilled. They just uh, had to have this wonder bowl in their kitchen because it promised to preserve freshness, limit spoilage, and eliminate spills. The bowl, along with a host of other such plastic containers, was the brainchild of inventor Earl Tupper, who would eventually be credited by the Guinness Book of World Records for coming up with one of the greatest inventions of the 20th century. And that, of course, was the iconic Tupperware. If any of you have been to a Tupperware party, I'd like to hear from you. And once again, 514-790-0800. I'd like to speak to someone who actually has been to a Tupperware party. So if you have been or you have a friend who you can alert to call in, 514-790-0800, I'd like to hear about a personal experience at a Tupperware party. But in any case, the Tupperware story actually begins back in 1933 in an imperial chemical industry lab, that's a company in England, uh, with a serendipitous discovery. Chemists Reginald Gibson and William Fawcett were studying chemical reactions under high pressure and temperature and when they dismantled the equipment they had been using, 
in which they had combined some ethylene and benzaldehyde to study the reaction between these two components. Much to their surprise, they found that a waxy white solid had formed. Chemical analysis showed that it contained only carbon and hydrogen, and it seemed that the small ethylene molecules had polymerized, that is, joined together to form a long chain in a process that had been proposed by Hermann Stottinger in 1922, who would then go on to garner the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 1953 for his uh, uh, description of polymerization. However, when the ICI chemists tried to reproduce the formation of this uh, polyethylene, they were stymied. Sometimes we would only get some dark residue, and on occasion the equipment couldn't handle the pressure and exploded. So the company decided to suspend the research, but uh, Fawcett described the work at a meeting of the Faraday Society in England in 1935. Uh, curiously, Stottinger was present at that meeting and didn't uh, agree with the conclusion about polyethylene being formed. And his disbelief turned out to be of great benefit to the Allies in World War II because due to Stottinger's skepticism, Germany did not pursue research into polyethylene. And that, as you'll see, turned out to be a critical mistake. Although ICI had banned high-pressure research, Michael Perrin, who had originally proposed such studies, was still intrigued. And two years after Gibson and Foss's discovery, he pursued the research in secret on his own time, together with two colleagues, and this time, using only ethylene, they succeeded in producing polyethylene with a bit of luck. Some of the ethylene had leaked out of the apparatus, and when they replaced it, they inadvertently also introduced some air. And it turned out that oxygen was the initiator needed to polymerize ethylene. And then came a momentous discovery. Polyethylene had amazing properties as an insulator. That turned out to be of immense importance when radar facilities were being developed during the early years of World War II. Transmission of the radar signal to screens requires highly effective installation of cables. And that job had fallen to rubber, a plastic called bakelite, ceramics, glass, or mica. And while these were excellent insulators, they are heavy. And that presented a difficulty when designing airborne radar systems. Switching to polyethylene allowed radar systems to be smaller and lighter, allowing them to be installed in airplanes. British planes were able to detect approaching aircraft and submarines and mount attacks against them even at night or when visibility was poor. Stottinger's opinion was highly respected in Germany and the military had not pursued polyethylene research. Consequently, German radar equipment was too cumbersome for the Luftwaffe's aircraft, explaining why some historians credit polyethylene with turning the tide of the Battle of Britain. The plastic's lightness and excellent insulating properties also made it the ideal material for insulating the first transatlantic telephone cables. Well, and then along came Earl Tupper. He had found a job at DuPont, and that's a company that in the U.S. was producing some polyethylene. And the company encouraged its employees to try to find new peacetime uses for their material. And Tupper had fancied himself as an inventor. 
Oh, he had come up with a better garter belt and with a knife that could be attached to a belt, and neither were successful. But uh, he started playing around with some molding machines that he had purchased, and uh, he and his son working in his kitchen at home discovered a way to produce polyethylene that, that was translucent and could be molded. And he started to mold these into useful objects, and he was cognizant of the fact that kitchens in those days uh, had all kinds of ceramic uh, bowls and glass bowls, and uh, those would uh, routinely break. So he had the idea of replacing them with polyethylene. And then came his real brainchild, and that was uh, the uh, formulation of a lid that would seal uh, in such a way that air would be excluded. And he got the idea from looking at the cover on a paint can. And this is how the so-called Wonder Bowl was born. And of course, it launched a whole Tupperware uh, empire, and Tupperware has you know, become an iconic uh, substance present in many kitchens to this day. And a sample of that original Wonder Bowl can be seen in Washington, in the uh, uh, National Museum of American History, where you can also go and see Abraham Lincoln's hat, and you can see the original ruby uh, slippers that were worn in The Wizard of Oz by Judy Garland. And uh, you can also see Archie Bunker's chair and uh, George Washington's uniform and a host of other items, including an original version of the Barbie doll. All right, so if you've ever been to a Tupperware party, give us a call at 514-790-0800. Several people have answered the question about the worst maritime disaster and have suggested that it was the Halifax explosion. And that indeed was a terrible explosion, but it was far, far from the worst maritime disaster. If I remember right, uh, about 1,700 people died in the Halifax uh, explosion when two ships collided in Halifax uh, Harbor. And it was devastating. But uh, the maritime disaster that I'm talking about uh, killed uh, oh, uh, about what, five, six times that many people. So that question is, uh, is still open. But we do have some, uh, someone on the line who's been to a Tupperware party. Uh, let's go to Sandra. Hey, Sandra. Hi there. Hi. So when were you at a Tupperware party? Believe it or not, about uh, three years ago. Okay. And what do you remember? Uh, well, basically, the party always starts out with games. So um, they do different kinds of games in which you win free Tupperware. So that's the way kind of it's been from the beginning. Um, and then after that, they show you the new items that have come out. And then they give you this big chock full of booklets to pick what you'd like to buy. And you bought? <laughs> no, I didn't buy. I just went went to the party. 
I wanted to see what it was like from when it, what it used to be years and years ago, and it hadn't changed very much. Well, did did, uh, did the demonstrator do this uh, uh, demo of putting water into the sealed bowl and, and tossing it around? No. I think no. by now we know it works. Uh, I've yeah, had my well. Tupperware for <laughs> probably 40 years. I still will carry a container of water in my purse, in my um, drink container, and it won't spill 40 years later. Right, it won't spill. Of course, now we are raising other issues about this, and I don't really want to get into this now because I, I'm going to write a, a column on this in the near future uh, about the number of chemicals that can actually leach out of that polyethylene bottle. You want to take right. a guess at the number of such chemicals? Um, I'll say 15. It's about 3,800. Wow. So, and that was so one of my questions. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so you can see why this is going to make for an interesting column that is coming up. So I shouldn't be using my Tupperware. My no, I think Tupperware. it's okay. I, I think it's okay because although those things are present, they are present in very small amounts, and we really don't have any evidence that they do harm. But I wouldn't put I wouldn't put it in the dishwasher. That I would not do. Okay. Because that that produces uh, cracks in it, and then more stuff leaches out. Yeah, I don't put it in the dishwasher or the microwave. But interestingly, up until I'm going to say maybe eight years ago, you could replace any piece of Tupperware where the lid was broken or cracked or anything happened to it for life. So it's right. really quite a savings. You never have to buy a million glass oh, bags yeah. or throw away the Rubbermaid things because they're all misshapen because they keep for life. Okay. Well, thanks for that. I'm going to speak to someone else who's been to a uh, Tupperware party, and that's uh, Patricia. Hey, Patricia. Pat? Yes. Hi. I'm here. So you, you've been to a Tupperware party? Oh, I've been to many of them. The first one that I actually held at my house was when I lived in Las Vegas, Nevada, 50 years ago. And um, I love this stuff. I love burping it. I, I never put it in the dishwasher, of course, and I never put it in the, in yeah. the microwave. But um, I just love it because you save money, Dr. Joe. You save a lot of money by not buying Ziplocs or other things that are supposed to protect your food while it's in the freezer. Yeah, this, is, this is true. You can use but this. Tell me. Do you remember uh, ever doing or seeing the demonstration that I mentioned where you put water into, uh, into a Tupperware bowl, seal it, and then toss it around to show that nothing spills? No, I've been to several of them, and none of them did that. But um, I have a lot of history with Tupperware. I have yeah. um, I've visited the woman who started her started the parties in Orlando. Oh, Florida. Brownie Wise. Brownie Wise. Yes. Yeah, she, her she, home she, is she, about, she. her original home is about three miles, well, maybe two miles from my house in central Florida, central Orlando. And also Tupperware is down the street. And yes. also Tupperware was made by people that I went to high school with were working at Tupperware in Callensville, Quebec. So I have a 
mm-hmm. a very long history with with Tupperware. So, well, I'm, Brownie really Wise, Brownie, Brownie Wise was a fascinating person, and uh, oh. originally, when uh, when Earl Tupper was selling Tupperware, it didn't sell very well in stores. And then he heard of uh, uh, Brownie uh, Wise buying lots of Tupperware, and he wondered why. And then uh, he questioned her, and she told him about the parties that she was having. And then he immediately oh, hired her. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he immediately hired her as the manager of sales, and she wow. really well, thank built. Thank you for telling me that. I went to her home, yeah. but it was, of course, she didn't live there anymore. But um, yeah. I was trying to think. I have to look up and see what that name was. But you need, knew it. That's good. <laughs> and she uh, was the uh, sales manager for about nine years, and built a multi-billion-dollar empire for Earl Tupper. But Tupper was yeah. a strange character. And eventually, he became jealous of all the publicity that Brownie was getting, and he fired her. And then he sold the company. He he Mm -hmm. sold the company, and he divorced his wife, and he retired to Costa Rica. But of course, the the company is still around today. But Earl Tupper was was kind of a a bizarre bird. But uh, Brownie Wise uh, was a fascinating lady. And she's the one who came up with that demo that I mentioned, because she would start off her parties by putting the water into the bowl and tossing it around. So that's, yeah, Yeah. those were the original Tupperware uh, parties. I must tell you that although I live in Florida, I grew up in Abercorn, <laughs> so I've listened to you guys all the time because I, I don't want to miss my home news, you know? Yeah, very good. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad yeah. to have heard also, from... Also, is uh, it the Titanic that's the biggest disaster? No, it's, it's not. It's not. No, it isn't. Wow. Uh, the Titanic was uh, small potatoes compared to the real okay. uh, tragedy I'm talking about. I think about. I saw all right, a well, someone... on a big... Yeah. Well, they, yeah, I mean, Titanic was terrible. I mean, about, what, 2,000 people died. But the one I'm yes. talking about uh, was a far worse disaster. Anyway, someone will come up with the answer uh, for that. Okay, thanks very much for uh, that story. I like it. All right, uh, I think Kenny has a, an answer to my question. Kenny? Hi, uh, Joe. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, so uh, the Maritime disaster, me? it was a Halifax explosion, right? A lot of people died, eh? No, right. it's not. It's not. It isn't. And I, I mentioned that 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 killed 1,700 people, but that was far from the worst maritime disaster. So we're still looking for the correct answer for that one. And no, it is not the, the Halifax uh, disaster. Of course, that is the worst Canadian maritime disaster. But the one I'm looking at uh, killed, uh, oh, far, far more people than... Uh, than the Halifax explosion. All right, someone will come up with the answer to that, but we will have to wait and see because we are approaching news time and we want to know what is going on out there in the world. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. We'll be right back. We are born to do science. A baby can do it and so can you. We are born to do science. Just Okay, we have all sorts of people on the line, hopefully with some answers. Let's go to Irene. Irene. Hi. Hi. Hi, it's for the uh, maritime disaster. Tell me. Could it be the sinking of the the German uh, ship, the Wilhelm 
Gustavlov in 1945 by a Russian yes. submarine? Yes, absolutely. You Googled it correctly. Right? Oh, that's strange. That... No, it was driving me nuts trying to figure out what the heck it was. And then, uh, I mean, 9,400 people on board. That was crazy. It is. Uh, it, yeah. yeah. And most people don't know about this. So this well, happened in 1945, yeah. you know, which, of course, was nearing the end of the Second World War. And the Soviets were uh, coming from the east and uh, the uh, British, French and the Americans were coming from the That's west, right. squeezing Germany. Yeah. And uh, Prussia, which was sort of the, the eastern end of, of Germany, was Germany, at the risk right. of being over, over, overrun by the Soviets. And uh, the Soviets were not very good whenever they came in. They, they pillaged and raped, etc. You know, a lot of these were just uneducated Cossacks in the Soviet army. Right. And they, the Germans were scared and they decided to evacuate. And the Wilhelm Gustloff, which was a, a German cruise ship that had been built years before, was loaded up with 10,582 refugees and, and started to sail. Died. That's yeah. awful. Yep, that's right. And uh, they started to sail towards Germany through the Baltic. And uh, they were torpedoed by a Soviet submarine. Uh, of course, it sank. And uh, 9343 died. Um, some directly from being hit by the torpedo. Others, of course, freezing to death in the, in, in the sea uh, and uh, drowning. And it was yeah. a horrific disaster, and uh, it was far greater loss of life than the uh, Lusitania or the Titanic, and most people have not heard about this. So there we go. Now at least we know that the people who have heard about it are, uh, or at least they've learned from the show about this disaster. Okay, yeah. Irene, thanks very Thank much. Thank you very Thank much. You. Okay, uh, let me uh, give you uh, another uh, question to replace that one. And um, think about this. Place a silver spoon, a stainless steel spoon, and a plastic spoon about the same size in a cup of hot water. With a bit of a butter, stick a bean to each spoon at roughly the same height. What are you trying to do? If you know the answer, 514-790-0800 or text us at 514-800. And of course, I still have the question, about the story of the milk and the cat, the sour milk into which the cat tipped a bottle of formaldehyde that led to discovery of lactoid. What was lactoid? Um, let's see if um, Arthur, who's still on the line, if he's got an answer to that. Arthur. Uh, dog, I, I was going to guess the tsunami was the worst uh, maritime disaster. <clears throat> But anyways, well, that's, that's, that's not uh, I a bad to guess. ask you, what do you think uh, all these rockets going, blasting through our ozone layer? You know, it's a thin membrane, and it, it, you know, it must be depleting because of all this rocket going off, you know, space. Uh, well, no, the, the ozone layer was, in fact, depleting as a consequence of us releasing a lot of freon. Freon chlorofluorocarbons are refrigerants, and they migrate to the upper atmosphere and destroy the ozone layer, but those have been replaced by other refrigerants that don't do that. Yeah, but don't you uh, think it was thinned everywhere else? You know, the hole was in the, in the, um, <clears throat> the poles, but, uh, the South Pole, but don't you think it was thinned everywhere else? 
No, we have evidence now that in fact the ozone holes have healed and there's no more issue with the ozone. Okay, all right, bye. And we have Diana still on the line. Diana? Sorry, but I'm still on the question of the Tupperware. Okay. Okay. You've been to a Tupperware party? 50, 60 years ago, I made a Tupperware party and I Uh still have some Tupperware. From that party? Yes, well, I made the party. I had a friend, and I bought some, and I still have the same Tupperware, and I still use it. What color do you have? I think I have orange and yellow. Mm -hmm. They were sort of pastel colors uh, back then. Yeah, that's right. Those were the original colors. I have even a red one, I think. Do you have a bowl? I don't have a bowl. I have it's a rectangle. Mm-hmm. Because I'm yeah. actually looking for. I I I would love to have one of the original bowls. You know, which were just sold as the Wonder Bowl. Oh no, and, I don't have uh, a bowl. I only yeah. have these rectangles. <laughs> but they're different anyway, colors. Anyway, they yes, they're different colors and they work very well. Yeah. They do. They real, and you know what? They close properly. I have a crack in one of them on the side. It still closes properly, and it still preserves my food. My food doesn't go bad in them. No, they were very well made, the Tupperware, and it's uh, it's still a good product. You know, I'm amazed uh, these that days, I still have it. Yeah. These days, people are vilifying plastics, you know, demonizing them. I think well, in many really, cases, I don't, not know what the, I don't know what the material they're yeah. made of, but it's like I said, they're even better than the plastic things you buy yeah. today. Yes, they are. They, uh, yeah, they last a lot well longer. Yeah. Okay, thanks very much. You're very welcome. Okay, and uh, Jim uh, texted, uh, and uh, yeah, this is very interesting. The Beatles have a song. It's called Polyethylene Pam, and uh, you might want to listen to that. Uh, Polyethylene, of course, is really the the most widely produced plastic uh, in the world today. It's used for all kinds of things. You can make thin film out of polyethylene. You wrap food in it. Uh, The milk jugs, those are made of polyethylene. polyethylene, all kinds of gaskets are made of polyethylene, and it's uh, a fantastic insulating material, as I mentioned. And uh, it uh, really was responsible for winning the Battle of Britain, the Second World War, uh, because the uh, Allies had radar, Uh, the Germans didn't have airborne radar, Uh, because uh, they didn't have the polyethylene insulation technology that was needed. And, you know, when people are demonizing plastics these days, some of us forget of all of the good that plastics have have done. And when uh, properly used, plastics are still excellent materials. And, you know, as as you've heard here today, uh, from all the testimonials about Tupperware. <laughs> I'm not a spokesperson for Tupperware. I don't care if people buy it or not. I just find the story of Tupperware pretty interesting. And um, Earl Tupper uh, himself was such an interesting uh, person. Okay, Boris, I think, is on the phone. He's got a question. Boris. Doris. Hello. Hi. Yes, go ahead. 
Yeah, sorry. I heard you speaking about the Tupperware, not to put it on the micro. But uh, what about the Corningware? Corningware you can put in the microwave. The, anything that's glass or ceramic you can put in the microwave. Thank okay. you very much. Very interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. Show. And I think Thank you. we have uh, Elizabeth on the line as well. Elizabeth. Yeah, hello, Dr. Joe. I went to a Tupperware party that was um, organized by my daughter about 10 years ago. And uh, what mm -hmm. we had was a raffle. I don't remember about the tossing of the bowls, but I bought three bowls, one fitting into the next one, like in three colors. The small one was green, right. yellow, and then blue or orange. Yeah, and they're very, very handy. I use them almost every, every couple of times a week to make cakes and mixing. Yeah, they, they, they are good. And they seal yeah. very well, very, very good. Each one has a lid <laughs> and fits one inside the other. It's so handy. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. I, so anyway, bye. I, I'm actually looking for one of the original Wonder Bowls, as they were called. And that, that would go back to the 1950s. So if anyone has one of those, you know, from the 1950s, if you have one of those bowl, bowls with a lid, I would be really interested uh, in that one. So if you do have such a thing, you can either email me, you know, my address is joe.schwartz at mcgill.ca, or of course you can call us here at 514-790-0800. But right now we've got to take a break and check traffic. Well, I'm still looking for answers to my two questions. First, I want to know what is lactoid that was discovered. The story, of course, is that a cat tipped over a bottle of formaldehyde into some sour milk. It's an apocryphal story, but I want to know what lactoid is, which actually is made by, from sour milk and formaldehyde. And um, the other question was, if you place a silver spoon, a stainless steel spoon, and a plastic spoon about the same size in a cup of hot water, and with a bit of butter, you attach a bean to each spoon at roughly the same height. Question was, what are you trying to do? Why are you performing this experiment? If you know, 514-790-0800 or text to 514-800. Another question, uh, apparently someone is looking at my Facebook page and all of you can do that. Uh, you just go to Facebook, you put in my name and you'll find it. And because I had put up a couple of pictures of some new socks that I have, which are kind of... Uh, uh, multicolored, and uh, people were asking why I'm so interested in that. Uh, it's uh, it's because I, I have a, a long-standing interest in dyes, because they are chemically very, very interesting, and I've always been fascinated by the original story of William Henry Perkin making the accidental discovery of uh, mauve as he was looking for uh, quinine. And it was a serendipitous discovery. So it's interesting both because it was a lucky discovery and because of where it led. It led to the whole dye industry, which in turn led to the whole pharmaceutical industry. So that's why I like things that are highly colored, especially when they are interesting. 
So uh, whenever I see socks that have sort of uh, uh, fascinating color schemes, I indulge in them. That's the answer to that one. Also, Nick wanted to know, uh, apparently there was a warning in Laval about uh, a substance called F500 being found in the drinking water, which had been used by some in some fire extinguishing equipment. Yeah, F500 is a very interesting material. You'll find it in some fire extinguishers. It isn't really the, uh, it, it's not the, the uh, foam that you uh, get in, in the uh, fire extinguishers. Um, it is an additive. And the reason it is put in there is because it has a tremendous ability to absorb heat. Now, the way that you put out a fire, of course, is by reducing the temperature. And that's how water actually works. Water absorbs heat from the fire. That's how it quenches the fire. But if you dissolve the substance F500, which if I remember right, is actually a, 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 it's a, some form of uh, ether with both sides of oxygen being linked to some long chain uh, fats, uh, hydrocarbons. Uh, and anyway, the, the whole point is that the, this molecule increases the ability of the water or the firefighting foam to absorb heat, and that lowers the temperature enough to put out the fire. Uh, something else that it does is that it's a free radical scavenger, and uh, the reaction that we call fire is really a sequence of free radical reactions, and anything that quenches those free radical reactions is uh, is useful in, in trying to fight uh, uh, a fire. Okay, so we have um, uh, delved into that, and I'm still hoping for the answer to my question about what uh, lactoid is and what you are trying to do with that spoon experiment that I uh, mentioned. But in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about Gilder's palsy. Today, physicians are not likely to encounter it, but prior to the 19th century, it was an ailment. Uh, that was considered when a patient presented with tremors, irritability, uh, increased salivation, and fatigue. And the culprit was mercury. And the patient may very well have been a gilder. Mercury's toxicity is a consequence of its ready binding to sulfur, an element that is a crucial component of many enzymes. And some of these enzymes are critical to the workings of the central nervous system, and their failure to function properly when bound to mercury causes the shakes and mental disturbances that are characteristic of mercury poisoning. Gilders, whose profession was based on coating metal objects with gold, exhibited such symptoms. Their problems came from exposure to metallic mercury, the silvery liquid found in thermometers. Romans called it hydargium, meaning liquid silver, which explains why we use the symbol HG for the element. Liquid mercury is somewhat volatile and can therefore be inhaled and absorbed into the bloodstream. Metallic mercury doesn't occur in nature, but it can be produced by heating cinnabar. That's a naturally occurring form of mercury sulfide. And of course, this metal has long fascinated people, especially the alchemists who thought that it was really the key to the transmutation of base metals into gold. Of course, it was not that, but there's a gold connection. Gold readily forms an alloy with mercury, a phenomenon that is apparent to anyone who has handled mercury while wearing a gold ring. While playing with mercury is a bad idea, the historical alloying with mercury to form gold amalgam has been an important method for isolating gold from ores. 
Traditional process involves crushing the gold ore, mixing it with mercury, separating the amalgam that forms. You then heat this to drive off the mercury, leaving pure gold behind. But it can leave you with mercury poisoning. And uh, it turns out that uh, Gilder's palsy uh, was a consequence of uh, Gilders who were coating objects with gold, playing around with uh, mercury. And uh, this could have catastrophic uh, consequences. So, uh, of course, today, Gilder's palsy is no longer seen because people who work with gold take uh, measures to prevent exposure to, to it. But there are still some uh, mining operations that use gold in South America. And uh, although, you know, it's not uh, jewelers, you know, who are affected with Gilder's palsy, uh, it's some of the workers in the gold mining uh, business. Uh, tomorrow, uh, it being the first Monday in uh, October, it is my time to be at the Eleanor London Library in Cote St. Luke, uh, just across the street from the, uh, what used to be called the Cavendish Mall. Now it's Cartier Cavendish. And tomorrow we're going to talk about some interesting things. Everyone is talking about Ozempic these days. We'll talk about that. And uh, we'll talk about some interesting ideas. Uh, revolving around biotechnology. Most people don't know how that affects their lives, but it really does. Uh, everyone is invited. Uh, of course, you do not have to have any prior knowledge of, uh, of science. And uh, it's a highly visual presentation and um, you can watch it live, but you can also uh, queue yourself into the Eleanor London Public Library and um, watch, uh, watch it live on your computer. But it is far better to be there in person uh, where we can answer questions and have discussions after. So that happens tomorrow at the Cote St. Luke Public Library. All right, well, I'm still left with a, a question. I guess we'll have to leave this hanging for, till next week because we don't have enough time to, to deal with it. But maybe a week will be enough time for you to hunt down an answer. So let me give it to you again. A story is told about a chemist who left a bowl of milk out for his cat on the floor of the lab. The milk went sour, so the cat did not drink it, and in fact recoiled in horror when it tasted it. And when it jumped back, it knocked over a bottle of formaldehyde. That fell into the milk. And this led the chemist to discover Lactoid, L-A-C-T-O-I-D. Question is, what is Lactoid? All right, we'll leave that hanging till next week when we'll be back with you. Same time, same station. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.